Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Sarah Griffin. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. Our guest today is the host of the podcast, I Love This Band. It's Jennifer Quigley. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello, guys. It's really nice to meet you. I'm yeah, a you fan too, of welcome. your podcast. And likewise. Yeah. <laughs> I really like it. It's along the same wavelength too, because like the whole premise of mine really is just to get people to talk about a band and not just necessarily talk about their music and career, but kind of talk about their personal connection to the music too. Mm -hmm. I think everybody has a band or a musician in their formative years that kind of helps them define their identity and just, yeah, the whole close to them. Everybody has a band that they just feel like are theirs, no matter how popular they are. Yeah, and, and you see that a lot with. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to talk about. Um, I'm going to talk about Courtney Love and Hole today. Now, mm. they are quite a. They're quite a controversial band, and people have a lot of strong opinions about. Even them. still, but for me, even still, in the year yeah. of 2020, yeah. people are still finding ways to be an arsehole about Courtney Love. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, I would have been very nervous telling people that they were my favorite band oh, when I was yeah. a teenager. I, I think now, just with everybody being more woke and i don't mean that now in a, in a derogatory way but i think people are far more open-minded about that they're looking back on the 90s stuff so like the bikini kills and the l7s mm-hmm. and the holes and they're like wow that stuff was actually fairly progressive and ahead of its time you'll even see people um resharing quotes from kurt cobain that were very uh, socially progressive compared to a lot of bands in the 90s i think in her day, too, it was still the, the era of the Guns N' Roses and, you know, things were not as uh, advanced as they are now. No, Kurt Cobain, actually, he was, like, really good friends with all the Riot Girl people, even before he became big. Like, isn't Smells Like Teen Spirit a quote from the drummer from Bikini Kill, I think? Possibly? Yeah. 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 Well, it's either I've heard uh different I've heard it's he dated Toby Vale, if I'm saying her name right. I think that yeah. was the drummer of Bikini Kill. They were actually a couple. Mm. Uh I think the Smells Like Teen Spirit uh graffiti was done actually by Kathleen Hanna, as far as I'm concerned. Oh that's right. They like Hanna. shared a flat or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 That was it. Yeah, and um, of course we all know Curtin was a fan of graffiti, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of in his mythology. So tell us how you got into hole. And then we'll get some more hold themselves. Um, I think everybody kind of in their thirties remembers a time where you couldn't just find any music that you wanted. Everything was not at your fingertips. Mm -hmm. So when I was a teenager, you know, a teenager that probably didn't have much of a social life, to be honest, collecting CDs, listening to music was just something I loved. Um, So the family got uh, Sky digital when I was about 16 and I was sitting watching it one day and the song doll parts came on Mm. and just the very striking visuals of her in the slip and the song itself is so simple and stripped down and bare and so vulnerable at that age I just really connected with all of that especially her being a woman and also she has this vocal power that's so aggressive and I'd nearly say masculine that isn't often seen in women of that generation, you know? It's like she really matches up with Kurt Cobain with her power and aggression, but there is that feminine vulnerability about her. And I think that's what really connected me to that band. So ever since I seen the video for Doll Parts then, 
I looked at live through this in a chain in Dundalk called CD World. And it was about 18 quid, if you guys remember how expensive mm-hmm. CDs oh, were. Yeah. Like, yeah, big investment. And a big investment, but I just want, and of course, when you're 16, 17, you've no money, right? Yeah. So for ages, I just wanted this CD and I kept looking at it. And then when I bought it, I played it to death. And I'd say even today as a 30 year old, it's probably one of my top three albums of all time. I just love that album. I love everything about it. And were you aware of Courtney Love before you heard this, like as a, like a cultural artifact kind of? Not massively. And I'd say when I was about 13, 14, that was her um, very bad drug years, a very public uh, falling apart years. Um, I think that was around the time Frances Bean was actually taken off her. And she released a very, uh, <laughs> a very, um, I will say, not very high quality solo album under the influence of a lot of substances. And this was a time where people kind of were definitely laughing at her and just seeing her as this kind of white trash mess in the media rather than looking at her as a musician, which is really sad. But I think we all remember the, the tabloid culture of the 2000s and what that was. Mm. She had a really, really tough go of it. Like from, basically from the minute she entered Kurt Cobain's orbit, she was treated as a Yoko, essentially. Like, well, to, to be a Courtney Love or to be a Yoko Ono yeah. is what it's done to women who dare approach uh, the orbit of famous male artists and in some way punctured the perfection of that mask of that masculine genius you know oh well it's, it's, it's that but also that they consider themselves the equal of these masculine geniuses is yeah, what annoys they're, people because courtney love like totally saw herself as kurt cobain's peer well yeah she was. when they met originally she was actually further ahead yeah. in her career than he was yeah. He uh, kind of saw her as a mentor for a long time. I by far prefer the yeah. music of Paul to the music of Nirvana. I think I, I feel like every time I pass comment on Nirvana, I'm like, it all. maybe I'm just broken in the brain, but it sounds just like a wall of grey static to me. Like it has nothing. <laughs> I can't find any texture. All I can hear is distorted guitars and poor enunciation on Cobain's part. Um, whereas at least there's, for me, I, really, I, I prefer it whole. And uh, I do think that, love even still lives in the shadow of the monster that the press created out of her and her public pain when a male artist is in pain publicly they're a hero and when a woman artist is in pain publicly they're a car crash and i think what you're saying there is absolutely correct because you must remember too that whole emerged during that seattle scene Mm. grunge flipping mania uh, and of course, we all know that Lane Staley, Kurt Cobain, Chris Cornell, all these people have made drug references in their music. Oh, yeah. They're but all it was almost the, yeah. And it was almost the perception of a tortured artist, but that wasn't permitted for women. No. And, and Courtney kind of, it still isn't. And she kind of refused to play the game. She's like, I'm not going to be the, the little darling. I'm not going to be the Stephanie Seymour on Axl Rose's arm. I'm going to be... I'm going to be unapologetically myself, whether the men or, or, and the women like it or not. I'm just going to be me, you know? And that's all, that also, not that I've ever been that. I was a very sheltered teenager, but there was something about that that kind of resonated with me too. It's like, she can just be unapologetically the type of woman she wants to be without being pigeonholed or defined by beauty standards or what society expected. 
And in so many ways, her beauty standards are, in fact, excruciatingly average. She's a thin, blonde, wh- white woman. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just untidy. Absolutely. And that's yeah. really compelling, that the idea of an untidiness or an era, uh, an aura of hungoverness or highness yeah. defeats yeah. and strips back all of your performances of peak white womanhood, which is, again, thinness, blondness, symmetry you know? Yes. So I, I'm, I'm really compelled by that. Like really compelled. If you listen to uh, the album, the first whole album, Pretty on the Inside and mm. the second album, Live Through This, like there are, uh, there is a theme running through all of those about beauty standards and about kind of trying, desperately tearing yourself apart to live up to these beauty standards. As you say, Sarah, whether you're staying thin, uh, you've got perfect hair, perfect lips, perfect eyes, perfect everything, perfect mm-hmm. legs, perfect clothes. Whereas Courtney was coming from this, like I think growing up uh, in the 70s and 80s too, I mean, you're growing up within a very misogynistic yeah. um, culture where women are incredibly sexually objectified. Yeah. And she took the trope of the perfect baby doll, coy, you know, sexy little girl which I know is disgusting, but that's what the culture was yeah. back then. It was sexy, but it's still is, it, it still is. Yeah, of like, youth. Like, it's yeah. just like Ariana Grande's yeah. sexy baby instead of like, yeah. you know, it is always, please do not mistake this about men wanting to fuck children. I'm sorry, but it is. <laughs> like, I am so sorry, but that's what it is. And it's like, yeah. how, mm, how can I do this? Oh, I'll make her dress like a child. And it's just what direction that child takes its form in. And I, I think Love, You're Dead Right. Love did the whole thing by wearing cutesy baby doll dresses, which are fucking fab. And I own multiple of, but every time I put one on, yeah. I'm like, ooh, Peter, ooh, get it off. <laughs> I, I appreciate the white collar and the velvet dress, but I just, no, man. Yeah. Fucking it's like a porcelain doll. And isn't it so interesting... Isn't it so interesting how the fashion industry, uh, how the Parisian kind of fashion industry are catching up with her style kind of oh, in yeah. the past? So you're going to see a vogue spread of these Victorian collars, as you say, in the slips. And, but like they, they yeah. come back in loops and like the kids, the kids now, she says, 32 years of age, <laughs> 32 years of age in two months. And two months, not in two months, 32 years of age. Like, the, the Zoomers, like the little babos, are all wearing that shit again, you know? <laughs> like, it just comes in cycles. It's just like, what, how, mm, sexy baby, right? It comes it comes back. And that's all down to love's influence, do you know? Because... Yeah, I'm, on, I'm actually only learning now what an e-girl was. I could, didn't know what people were talking about for ages. I, don't, I, I still don't know if I fully understand. Girl. Like, I... What, shave an eyebrow, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, half an eyebrow. Just listeners can't hear that, but I'm just demonstrating the fact that I shaved off half my eyebrows because I looked at too many TikToks about it and I want to see my age. Um, it's yeah. like bondage collars and like fake freckles and oh. like pseudo goth gear. Yeah. God, I sound like such an L one now, but this is what I'm seeing. <laughs> the aesthetic has changed, but a lot of that is from, is from that kind of whole yeah. early aesthetic. Marilyn Manson. Yeah. yeah. Mm. like and it's all rising to the surface again because yeah it's very hard to wear out of doors because it is public and 
I do not give a fuck how ballsy you are. It is very hard to wear any sort of bondage gear outside without feeling just a bit funny about it, you know? But you can yeah. wear it on your phone. Can't say I have. You know, you can just wear it on your yeah. phone. Mm. And then you're like, yeah. awesome. This is easy. But love I is guess that's what it is. a lot of that. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, the e-girl thing is like very particular aesthetic that I'm learning about. But um, yeah, the, the fact that she subverted this idea of a... Uh, uh, of the sexy coy baby doll. Mm. And then when you listen to the songs of say, um, Pretty on the Inside, of course the title track is that incredibly confrontational, uh, aggressive uh, song, Teenage Whore. Mm. So she's playing with all these themes. It's like the baby doll coming back for revenge. Do you know what I mean? She's crawling out of a ditch and she's going to stab you to death. And that's kind of like, she's getting her revenge on the men and the culture that has objectified her and victimized her and she's coming back and she's screaming and you're scared of her. And that's also so powerful. And there's something about that that really resonates to this day. It's disturbing to a lot of people, but there's something in that artistry that I just think is, yeah, perfect. And you gotta think about the time in which it was first coming out when feminism was still a dirty word. And to speak back at any volume to patriarchy, especially the volume that Hull were speaking back at was fucking audacious. Because the rock gods of the world, Cobain, etc., were all very much within a particular kind of traditional masculinity, be it tortured artist or, like, whatever the fuck Sash was doing. You know what I mean? Like, there's, it's re- it was really violently antithetical to what was, to the mainstream of, like, the the of alternative music. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, mm. I do. And, and the vision. And visually, too, of course, it was like thick flannel shirts, big Doc Martin boots. It was very masculine, very mm. macho. And then she kind of uh, contrasted that with her very feminine uh, imagery, too. Yeah. You know, which was uh, very much deliberate on her part. She knew what she was doing there. Big time. She had a very similar thing to Kurt Cobain, where they were both complete outsiders who wanted to be famous and didn't want to be famous. And we're trying to, and kind of a big part of what, drives them drives your self-destruction I guess is that conflict where you really really want the acceptance but also hate everything about it um like they they're with the best and worst possible match for each other I think uh yeah. I was rereading um do you, have you read heavier than heaven the Kirk Cobain biography I have, I have, I read it years ago. Yeah, yeah I really read I, some I, I, of the Courtney Love bits yesterday. Yeah. And it's really sympathetic to her actually, um, which yeah. I had forgotten about because most of the world isn't. So it's surprising that that book is. Um, but what yeah. comes across is how much they relied on each other and how much they improved each other as well. Like he, like there was a rumor going around that Kurt wrote most of Live Through This which is just based on nothing. Yeah, that's right. It's just based on the assumption that a woman couldn't do an album that good. It's essentially all it's based on. Um, but Alan, there also is, there also was something that happened there. Okay, so when Live Through This was recorded, um, Kurt, uh, Kurt, sorry, would kind of join in on the sessions or he would be present there, right? Okay, so mm. this kind of, that nugget of information would fuel all these kind of dismissive rumors about him writing the album yeah he did do backing vocals on on the track asking for it um and there is one version of it available online where you can hear his 
vocals in the background very pronounced. But that still does not mean that he wrote the song. And Paddy no, Schemmel, no. who was the whole drummer of the time, did say it's baseless to say that Kurt wrote, wrote the album. He didn't. No, according to people who were there when she asked him to do the backing vocals, he was like, I don't, I don't know the songs. I, how, what do you want me to sing? Like, he literally had yeah. not heard the songs before. <laughs> so, uh, And yeah. then the same thing happened to her again with um, the uh, Malibu album, Celebrity Skin. Everybody thought yeah, Billy, Corgan, Billy, Corgan. Billy Corgan like helped on five songs, but he claimed he wrote the whole album, and then everybody believed him over her, even though everybody in they the band was like, a... "Yeah, it's, it's a contemptuous one." Yeah, they have a, quite a love hate relationship and mm. have had for about thirty years. Um, before she was with Kurt Cobain, she was seeing Billy Corgan, whether they officially were a couple or not. So they've kind of had this very like, "I love you, I hate you, I hate you, you're a bastard." Or you're, you know, they've kind of gone back and forth with each other. Um, so I think he did have some involvement now on Celebrity Skin, and it would be kind of uh, no, he definitely did. For me to say that he didn't, yeah. But um, yeah, he did kind of want to just stick it to her uh, and say, actually, yeah, I wrote it. And there's this great clip. I think she was playing on um, Jules Holland, and uh, she played a couple of songs live. Uh, she played the Crystals. Uh, he hit me, and it felt like a kiss. And she probably played Violet as well, but before she sang, she was like, this is dedicated to Billy Corgan. I hexed him and now he's losing his hair. <laughs> and I just thought that was very... <laughs> like her stage banter as well has always been something else. Like, Yeah, she. I remember watching, I think it was like Glastonbury in like 98. Uh, and I haven't seen it since. I haven't gone back to look at this, but I, re- I remember it so clearly because it made such, such an impression on me. They finished, their last song was um, Celebrity Skin. And at the end, as the song ended, she went into just herself, just playing one chord on the guitar, just constantly, just just one chord, doing She's Lost Control by Joy Division, just in a monotone. Yeah. The first verse and a half of She's Lost Control in front of like 30,000 people. And just like yeah. staring off into space. It was so powerful. She's a really, really compelling performer. Absolutely, yeah. That she would kind of do these kind of little improvisations on stage, um, where like she'd play this really uh, visceral, like hardcore punk song, and then in the end she'd do something like she'd play like Cars by Gary Newman or something like that. Mm. She'd just go into something in in a kind of a trance. So yeah, like I think for Courtney too, uh, she has a love affair with poetry and words and. She's kind of like a student of Patti Smith in that way, that mm. her lyrics are really, really important to her and a massive part of Hole's Appeal as well. Like, they are so poetic. There's so many gems in there, especially on uh, Live Through This. Like, um, there's a song called, uh, I think it's Plump. I don't do the dishes, I throw them in the crib or something like that, you know? And it's like an attack on uh, domesticity. Oh, I can't say that word, but... Uh, there's so many little uh, nuggets like that that I also just always tuned in on when I was listening. I was like, wow, that's so clever, you know? And Kurt Cobain did say she was a brilliant lyricist. And there was a quote from him where he said, um, uh, that girl needs to publish her poetry and the world will change or something like that. So he always mm. supported her. Yeah, he always said that In Utero was like a better album because he was with her because she, he was able to bounce ideas off of her. Like lyrically, it's a much yeah. stronger album than Nevermind. Well, there you go. No one would yeah. ever say, and, and no one would ever say that Courtney Love wrote in utero. No, you know? no, no, no. 
And of course, she's referenced in a lot of uh, in utero too, like mm. Hardship Box is like famously like a love song about about her. You she know, sent him she a little hardship like box, Pisces. wasn't it, after they met? For the yeah. First time. yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Like Hardship Box and Doll Parts, those two songs are actually kind of connected because mm. Doll Parts was written when she was. Uh, she either had a crush on him and was trying to get his attention or they were dating each other and she didn't think that he was as into her as she was into him. And the song is like a, a her just like this gut-wrenching, like a kind of heartbreaking song where she's like, a, someday you will ache like I ache. Like she just really wanted him and wasn't sure that he reciprocated. Mm. So those two songs are kind of connected because they're about that courtship during that time, you know? Mm. Um, so... When, once you got into Hole, were you like like a stan then or was like how like how deep down did you go into the Hole fandom? I would say I was a stan and yeah. I would be one of those people that would get very passionately angry when people said <laughs> mean stuff about her. And that's yeah. not me saying I defend everything she's done. I know she's a controversial person and there's problematic elements to her too. And I can see that now as an adult, but all our faiths you know, are when problematic. You all our faiths are problematic, but... When you uh, when you're at that age and you loves you look up to somebody that much. I mean, yeah, I had the albums when you're a teenager as well. Like you're 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 no, you don't. Yeah, you're impulsive and you're just yeah, your impulses are just so strong and um yeah, I would have had like I would have had the CDs and I would have read everything about her and and also like I'd go on trying to find like rare recordings of whole like doing covers and mm. you know yeah no I was and I saved photos of her on my computer like I I was like I loved her I really did like she was such a comfort to me at that age you know because mm. you know when you're a teenage girl you're you're everybody else is stupid except you you know oh yeah <laughs> mm. but I think she's a good one to latch on to as a teenager you know I think uh, yeah you can learn like get a lot of strength from her that you wouldn't yeah. necessarily you get. You learn from a lot of patriarchy by looking at Courtney Love. Oh yeah, it's same it's like you know, like Shade O'Connor, Courtney Love. It's how people talk about them is a pretty good indicator of where they're at. Mm. Yeah, big time. Mm. And Sinead had a very similar kind of outlook in a way too in the early nineties, like where she was refusing to play the game, like just being mm. unapologetically herself and shaving her head because she didn't want to be a sex symbol. And like there was a bit of a, a maybe not the same kind of thing but there's a similar kind of mindset there where she's just like yeah a rebellious woman and not apologizing for it and not acting like the quiet little coy mouse that people wanted her to be just sing pretty songs and and shut up and she just refused and there's something in that I mean as you say Sarah that men are always the ones um that are supposed to be the voices of the generation and that privilege is never reserved for women, you know? No. Mm. no. Still not. Yeah. It's so interesting that she didn't get on with the Riot Girl bands. Like that Rockstar yeah. and Live Through This is about like going to the college world where they all like started and just hating it so much. Because I guess, yeah. There can be outsiders within outsider movements. Yeah, because the whole were like an LA band compared to like the Olympia Riot Girl bands and the Seattle Grunge bands. So, but they were like Sonic Youth approved. Like Thurston Moore was yeah. told so pop about them. And then Kim Gordon produced Live Judas, or not Live Judas, Pretty on the Inside. So they had like That's right, yeah. the cred. They weren't, there was, it was because they came to the mainstream's attention because of Kurt Cobain. But they were like so, so well regarded before that. Mm. They, it's, yeah. 
it kind of it was it's kind of almost a shame that they are a little bit of a a footnote in the Nirvana story now, which they don't deserve. They because yeah. Litrus is like I really hope someone listening to this will go and hear Violet for the first time after this episode. Me too. I'm yeah, so jealous of someone gets to hear Violet for the first time. It's just an incredible song. It's one of the best songs of all time. It's just yeah. I hope burst, I can introduce yeah. an e-girl to uh, to live through this. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to fucking go to a record store, man. They can just type that shit into YouTube. Mm. No. <laughs> yes. They don't have to look, stare longingly at live through this and see the world the dog and be like, I can't wait until I have like enough pocket money to buy that album. Yeah. <laughs> <Jesus>. Um <laughs> and by the way, I'm not being uh, I'm not being like, you know, bitter and mean. I I'm just cracking jokes here because I'm thirty and you know, uh, all oh, these yeah. younger ones have better makeup than me and yeah. everything and I'm just like there's so, there are so <laughs> many more surfaces to look into than we did. That's the way I look at it. And like, mm-hmm. you guys are so stylish because you get to research style. We, not, <laughs> yeah, exactly. mm. we all look like shit. We also had no cameras to look good for. That's fine. You know? Yeah. Crappy, sharp flip phone. That's what I had. Oh my God. Mm. Like, very, very different standard. But also that means you're like... The things that you find feel more precious, you know? That's it. So you just happen to see a music video, you just happen to hear a song, and you source it and you find out what it is, and then that becomes yours because you had to mine it from culture for yourself, Mm. you know? We talked about this a bit in the uh, Dean Van Wins episode, but I remember, um, I didn't want to hijack it too much with like Entry 2 and Alternative Nation stuff, but... There used to be an ad for 120 minutes on uh, MTV, which was their like late night alternative show for like super alternative stuff, and it had about eight seconds of "Dog on Wheels" by Bell and Sebastian in that ad, and I was like, "Okay, what is this? I need to find this song." And yeah, once I finally, once I finally yeah. got it from like Napster, because you can get Bell and Sebastian stuff anywhere, then I have listened to that song more than any other Bell and Sebastian song, and it's from that eight seconds in this one ad, there was just like, mm. I found Bell and Sebastian who are, because I am crushingly boring and don't like music, (laughs) Belle and Sebastian are a very large part of my uh, whole vibe. And I found them by being in Tower Records while they were playing Funny Little Frog, going up to the guy behind the counter and being like, what is this song? And then he was like, where do I get it? It's fucking Bell and Sebastian. The album is The Life Pursuit. Cool. That's it. Yeah. You just catch it in the air. And it's also just then finally buying the album and having the album and taking the sleeve out and going through the booklet and finding out maybe the lyrics are in it. And album art. Who, who's thanked? Who's thanked? You know, who do they thank? Mm. Uh, I was talking about this with my friend Danny about uh, Rage Against the Machine. That's a profile I'm doing soon but yeah it's like their album art was so meticulously chosen and uh, so much thought was put into it and I'd say the same with whole like the mm. visually just the dolls and the and the the childish handwriting and uh, and the photographs of her are just like she she's not a conventionally like beautiful she's not Cindy Crawford but she 
she is a really good model i would say she knows how to pose she knows how to yeah, dress I mean, so like i was just you looking know? at photos of her i have photos of her in the background here and like on one hand she's not cindy crawford but on the other hand she kind of is mm. she is. Like, yeah. is she like six a foot woman. i think yeah There's very tall yeah she's very mm. tall from back then and she is absolutely astonishing looking she's got she's dressed alternatively yeah. and she's undone looking but she is very like modern yeah. if, she, if you looked like her when she was young now do you know what i mean like she is very well, you'd be the coolest yeah yeah she's yeah, so she'd be an imp yeah i think um yeah she was just really good at that like of course she's had like lots of cosmetic work done back, ah, yeah. back, going back as far as the 80s i think she's had little bits and bobs done um but even with that she she know she understood the importance of creating this very recognizable image i think she there's a quote from her some i i read somewhere where she was like uh, one of the um ingredients to be a rock star is like you have to start a hairstyle yeah <laughs> which is very interesting yeah yeah it's like so and that's very true i suppose when you think of maybe like david bowie with his like Ziggy Stardust mullet, um, mm. maybe Freddie Mercury with his mustache, yeah. um, Jim Morrison and his curls. Like, they're so, these are recognizable elements. And for her, of course, it's the blonde mop and the big red lips, you know? It's like, yeah. if you just drew those, you'd, if I just drew a man with black hair and a mustache, and I went, what rock star is that? You'd be like, Freddie Mercury. Oh, Freddie Mercury, yeah. 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 Right. And the big, like, curls. Yeah, so it's she. She really understood all the ingredients in being kind of iconic, and some people would say that's very contrived and posery. I think it's it's just um, a reality of it, isn't it? Like yeah, and now people try so hard. Like and and I think yeah. at the time being a poser was obviously a hugely, you know, derogatory thing to say about somebody. But now it's all anybody ever does. Yeah, and if you can't also, do it, yeah. no one gives a shit. Mm. Plus, like she, like she was. I'm not saying anything groundbreaking, but as a woman, she knew she was going to be judged on her appearance. So yeah, why not? Yeah. Why not go hard with it? You know. That's it. Yeah, and I mean, and then later on, then if you go into the celebrity skin era, she she's kind of she's a movie star at this point. So she's like in She's in uh, the People versus Larry Flint and um, that movie Man on the Moon. I think that was Jim Carrey. Mm. Um, and then. What other one was she in? Oh, she was in a few movies. Uh, 200 Cigarettes, which is one I love. It's like a bit of a cult favourite. You, you guys might have covered it, or you will in the future probably, because it's one of those little culty that gems. That Jim Jarmusch one? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen it actually. Yeah, um, yeah. No, is it? Paul Rudd, of course, is our, mm. is, uh, is in it with Courtney Love, which is just like... That's a pair. Look yeah. back at that. Oh, it's mad, but... It's a really cute little movie. It's really like just feel good and it's set in the 80s and I like it. Anyway. Yeah, so but, um, during really that one because that would be, I came to Courtney Love when I was in college. So much later. Yeah. Um, via Celebrity Skin being a fucking banger. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, would that be their most mainstream hit? I think so. I it's, think that would be the yeah. one that you're going to find on compilations and playlists and stuff. Yeah, like I yeah, that or Malibu probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because it is it's it's very radio friendly and easy to listen to. So it's not as confrontational and in your face as the grungier stuff. It's more yeah, yeah. It's more slick. And of course, that you have that dinner, 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 and so everybody just recognizes that. You know. Yeah. Also, Celebrity Skin is the one song of theirs that's in rock band. So 
it also has yeah. a secondary audience <laughs> through that. That's yeah, it's like video game soundtracks mm-hmm. and movie soundtracks and uh, compilation albums in the two thousands. That's how a lot of I think people in the thirties got into bands they liked. I know I did yeah. a lot from different <laughs> media, like you know. Yeah, mm. you just find bits of them. You know. Yeah. Oh, like celebrity skin is like custom made to soundtrack a bit in a TV show where the bad girl arrives. Yeah, you know, it's like a car pulls up <laughs> yeah. outside a high school and someone steps out and celebrity skin bursts out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like that uh, Joan Jett song in uh, 10 Things I Hate About You." That's what it, that's what I was just thinking. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. A, <laughs> it is I very celebrity skin recently, and I was like, the lyrics of this actually are fucking great, man. It's real good. Mm. Still a great song. Like when they started the band, she said she, the ad she put up was like something like someone who's into like L7, Sonic Youth and and Fleetwood Mac. And the balance of those three bands just shifted gradually towards Fleetwood Mac over the years from Pretty on the Inside. You're and right. It's full on Fleetwood Mac by the time you get Celebrity Skin. I think when she was creating Celebrity Skin, pardon me, she was very much kind of channeling that Stevie Nicks kind of vibe. And yeah, she has she a lot of gold dust woman. She covered Goldust Woman around that time for some movie that probably is crap. But, <laughs> uh, and like, I, it's okay that cover, but I mean, Stevie Nicks is Stevie Nicks at the end of the day. As much as I love Courtney, Stevie Nicks is like ethereal and just otherworldly. It's very hard to kind of capture that. But like Stevie Nicks has a million children, do you know? Like, mm. of course, she has yeah. a, her imprint is on everyone. Like she has yeah, just... I would say even Lana Del Rey. Lana oh. Del Rey has the Stevie Nicks vibe totally. Oh, yeah, like, Lana, Florence, ripped. everybody, yeah. There's like all of yeah. these little Stevies wandering around. And like, that's not a put down, again, not a bad thing. It's just like, she's the central dandelion, you know? Yeah, which of makes course. it all the worse that Torgy Tor couldn't do a decent Stevie Nicks. I do. I know. <laughs> what a waste of a fucking role. Yeah. Like, Nicks is gas. Like, and, um, I'm looking online now at the moment. You know, Courtney Love did a line of clothing. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it was na- a nasty gal, was it? And it is, of course, all tiny baby doll dresses and shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very exactly. self-aware. I remember when that came out and like, people were tagging me in it. You know, did you see this? <laughs> so <laughs> I loved her. I was like, I can't afford any of this and I'm not skinny enough for it. So yeah. thanks anyway. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> you so know? much for this tiny piece of fabric, Courtney. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Cheers. So helpful. Oh God, like, yeah, I think, I think my friend tagged me in the bra. Like, look at that. Oh my God. I'm like, Sir, have you seen me? <laughs> That's oh, not going to no. work, man. Appreciate the thought, girl. I mean, you can pull it off, you know? But again, it's one of those, I look yeah. at the clothes and I'm like, that is a, a wear that for the internet thing, not a wear that for outside. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's for my Instagram feed. It's not for my, yeah. uh, it's not for me going out to Dundalk to, to one of the pubs with the spirit store and a dark dress like that, I'd probably get a few oh, looks, Lord. I'd say. Like, Jenny's gone a bit mad. <laughs> Living your finest um, party, though, to be fair, which is pretty good. <laughs> I did my finest, yeah. Um, but with, with Celebrity Skin, just back to that, like, that that song, uh, this is our movie star period, and it, it's it's harking back, too, to the body image and, and all that stuff. And the lyrics are, are kind of referring to these... Uh, these uh, starlets and wannabes and how they're tearing themselves apart to be beautiful. And um, 
you know, beautiful garbage, beautiful dresses, like those lyrics, you know, when I wake up in my makeup, you know, like that there's such, it's such, such strong imagery. And it's so, so simple like, as well. So simple. I mean, I'd say drag queens love that song because it's just yeah. so, it's like, it's got a campy element too that I just think is really fun. Very it's Valley of the Dolls or something. Hugely self-aware. There was a lip sync on Drag Race that, wasn't there? I'm sure, nearly I think sure there was, yeah, yeah. She um, actually was on Drag Race as a judge. She and was, I love and Francis Bean was guys. as well, yeah. 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 yeah, and I love Drag Race guys, but I just feel like they did not utilize her enough in that episode. Like, I wanted a Courtney Love theme challenge. I wanted the, the queens to come out with, mm-hmm. like, baby doll dresses. I wanted them to do Courtney thing, and they didn't use her enough. She was kind of just there, and they edited out most of her. And I was like, why get Courtney Love on a show about drag queens and not? get every bit out of her you can because obviously she would I think, I think there's a couple of photos of her and Kurt and RuPaul knocking around like yeah there's a photo of um, right. RuPaul holding Francis Bean as a baby and stuff yeah Aww. yeah and she's reposted it a few times being like you know I love my baby pictures or something really funny because it's just <laughs> like what a what an upbringing that that uh, poor girl has had she's been mm. through so much I'd say she's a really interesting person yeah. she seems remarkably well adjusted um yeah because i was reading back on like the first couple of months of her life in that in the charles cross book and they had to like fly in one of courtney's cousins who she didn't know to be her guardian for the first couple of months because they had both because of like a vanity fair article come out about how she was using heroin when she was pregnant um, even though as soon as she found out she had like been detoxing straight away she was like really she really wanted to have a baby and do it properly and basically because the, the social services turned up brought the Vanity Fair article with them as the evidence oh, so no. she was furious um, she wrote like a really uh, kind of a disjointed like obviously upset letter on her America online page at the time going yeah. um, we we don't come from famous families we didn't we just wanted to see what being famous was like we did not expect this to happen yeah. this to be what was the consequences of being famous it's shit and I hate it and we will be good parents pretty much and like that was the thing is with her. The thing is with her, though. I think Courtney more than Kurt uh, did kind of want fame, and I have her diaries. A friend actually bought it for me for my seventeenth birthday. The year it came mm. out. Uh, I remember getting it off my friend when I was actually in school, like um, putting it in my locker. It was like one of the most thoughtful, thoughtful presents ever. I still have it, but um. Yeah, in that book, of course, there's all her writing, uh, diary entries, lyrics, photographs, and all through her life. And you see, Courtney um, always fantasized about being an actress or a musician or a movie star. And before she was, uh, Courtney loved the rock star. She was like a, she was a stripper as a teenager, which probably inspired teenage horror. She, and traveled around the world. She was emancipated at 16 from her, very uh crazy parents and her father used to manage the the grateful dead and her mother was like a new age hippie psychotherapist so Hmm. combine those elements and you kind of get courtney love it it makes total sense that she would be kind of erratic and eccentric um she acted in movies in the 80s as well she was in a movie called um straight to hell uh, which was directed by Alex, Co- Alex Cox and Joe Strummer was actually in that. It was like a really weird Western. Uh, and of course she was in Sid and Nancy. She was like a, um, a side character in Sid and Nancy. And she actually um, auditioned for the role of Nancy. Uh, 
And I think everybody listening to this is probably like, why do Courtney Love not play Nancy? Like she mm. practically is Nancy. Like but, think um, that the, the deep levels of irony at play there, like, you know. Mm. Absolutely. Abs- like really sickening foreshadowing in a way too. Like that uh, life really imitated art for her in that, in that way, sort of, you know. Um, and I too, I too think when Kurt Cobain met her, she her physical look would have just been like a punk rock fantasy girl for him as well so mm. you can kind of connect the Sid and Nancy legend to the Kurt and Courtney legend because it's like they they fantasize about being it but the reality is so it's so much harder yeah, and dark mm. yeah. yeah uh yeah he was yeah, instantly so. attracted to her she like he w- walked past her on his way to, to the stage and she's like shouted something at him and he like furred it back, which apparently he never did. And then they wrestled on the ground, and then they didn't see each other for four months. <laughs> wow! Uh, and apparently, like he was like super shy and rarely opened up to anybody, but like he could just talk and talk and talk to her. He was like she was like one of the three can, people I he could do that with. That. Yeah, I think he she was very magnetic and extroverted, and he mm. was very introverted. And uh, I can see how he would. I I I kind of imagine it. This is like. This is like a hot take, but like I'd say there was elements of Courtney's personality that Kurt probably envied in a way or wanted or coveted. Like he he saw her being so brash and so like not give a crap. Uh, and I'd say he wanted to be like that himself in a way. And she would have been really exciting for him. That would have been really sexually attractive to him as well, I'd imagine. Like just, yeah, I mean... There's, there, there is, I think there are men that just are very attracted to strong women. And I think he was that because mm. he was such a kind of an introverted guy and very sensitive. God love him. Mm. But like she has had to, it's such a strange thing that she then lives out the rest of her life in his legacy and in the shadow of his legacy. Yeah. And unfortunately well, that's probably, just, you know. Yeah. It's like people think that she she benefited off his death and maybe like in some ways like her career did benefit but I think it's largely just skewed the perception of her and yeah. people don't investigate as Alan said earlier people don't investigate her uh, much deeper than the Kurt Cobain uh, story and her being just a kind of a, a footnote or the villain of it even as we said mm-hmm. like you know mm-hmm. being the the villain in the story the, the Yoko I mean, it's hard to know how Live Through This would have done if it hadn't come out the week after he died, but it's it's still a great yeah. album, you know? I think people would still be talking about it, even. They might yeah. even talk about it. it, could, I, it I think it could have been to this detriment, to be honest. I think it would stand alone more without all that baggage. I didn't know that it came out the week after he died. Mm. Obviously, yeah, it was all written and recorded yeah, before he died, but yeah. That's right. And the, of course, the title being called Live Through This is also fucking spooky and foreshadowing that live through this. It's such a, you know, it's such a statement. Uh, And also there's a song you were talking about, Rockstar at the end, Mm. which is actually not the song that's on the album. Mm. So the song that's labeled Rockstar is actually Olympia, right? And it's about the riot girls. I went to school in Olympia. I'm sorry if you heard my dog in the background there. He knows I'm here. Oh, good. We love dogs. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, he's huge. He's not allowed in. He'll he'll just ruin everything. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so the the actual song Rockstar is uh, about 
wanting to be a celebrity rock star and it was like the lyrics are wouldn't it be great to be nirvana wouldn't it be great to be madonna so it was kind of like you know you're looking at us like it was about people who accused her and courtney of selling out but also hip quite hypocritically would love to be them at the same time like alan what you were talking about how like they wanted fame but the reality was very hard to deal with mm. um but that's what that song is about. But because of the kind of sarcastic lyrics and, of course, Kurt dying, it couldn't be put on the album. It would be in bad taste. So it was replaced by uh, Olympia. But the, the track listing never changed for some reason. It was still labelled Rockstar, even though that wasn't the song. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a misconception about Live Through This as well. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, that's a little um, nuggish for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Probably covered a load. Um, do you have any other thoughts? Any other nuggets for us? Um, I've got like what all what, what kind of blew my mind when I was growing up and I was reading their diaries and stuff. Was, there's actually like a County Loud slash me the connection to Courtney Love. Oh really? Yeah. So I don't know if my computer's <laughs> listening or. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Hank Harrison. Hank Harrison, I think, lived in Drogheda for a while, which are me, they're somewhere there. Uh, and Courtney was with him. <laughs> Courtney, uh, yeah, talks about Drogheda in her diaries, which is just very surreal. <laughs> I, like, when I'm looking at my reality, I'm like, so, yeah, like, there's a bit where she's talking about Newgrange and Nows and Doubt. So, she, yes, as a teenager, she visited Newgrange and she actually studied uh, theology in Trinity College for a semester as well. She, so was she's, she, she was in Trinity, yeah. wasn't she? Yeah, but like as a, as this is pre-fame, so this is like before everything. She was a bit of a globe trotter, so what? yeah, she's she, yeah, draw had has had Courtney loving it. So there you go. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah. Yeah. It's all our magic witch powers from. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. She was summoning the goddesses and like yeah. <laughs> absorbing all that energy. Maybe Bridget is inside her. And fucking Stevie Wonder rolling up, not Stevie Wonder, Stevie Nicks rolling up to the <laughs> <laughs> Stevie Nicks rolling up to fucking ring for it to shit. That's deadly. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose that's a night. It's always nice to end on a note where like, oh, there's an Irish connection with going. Yeah. yeah. Very late nature of us. Yeah. So on that note, Jennifer Quigley, thank you so much. Where can we thank find you, you so and your podcast? Yeah. My podcast, I Love This Band, is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I don't want to say wherever you get your podcast because I don't know because my podcast is DIY. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but as far as I know, yeah, and I have a Buzzsprout site. Uh, the Instagram account and Facebook, is both, they're both called I Love This Band Pod. That's the username and you'll be able to find me there. Cool. So Sarah. please give it a listen. Yeah, yeah, it's very good, everybody. Um, Sarah, where can we find you? You find me in my house because I never <laughs> live. Uh, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Grifsky. And on Instagram, I'm at Sarah Grifsky, and my books can be found at all online retailers that sell books. <laughs> Alan, when can we? Uh, where can we find you? Uh, I'm Alan underscore McGuire everywhere. Alan uh, Juvenalia. I just had to say my name there. That's fine. Yeah, I'm Alan. <laughs> my name is Alan. Uh, Juvenalia is Juvenalia underscore Pod on Twitter. Juvenalia Pod on Instagram. Uh, we have a Patreon. There are bonus episodes. We are a Tall Tales podcast. Uh, Thank other you, podcasts include Mother of Pod, Private Education, Replay, all that. 
Uh, thank you, Dean McDonald, for our artwork. Thanks, Dean. We miss thank you, Alan. Yeah, we miss you. Hello, Alan. Um, and yeah, leave us a review or something if you want, or a subscribe thing. You, it's Oh, I'm gone. I'm dead. It's warm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you, Jennifer Quigley. And bye, everybody. Thank you so much you for the invite. Yeah. So much, Jennifer. Fascinating. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys.